With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. It is episode number 68, and we missed you last week uh, during Hurricane Matthew. Um, we had some technical issues. We didn't actually mean to take the weekend off or the week off, but uh, we are here with you today. I am Michael Citro. I am the founder and the managing editor of TheMainland.com. I'm here with Andrew Harrison, one of our senior columnists. Andrew, how are you holding up? I'm doing pretty well. My roof didn't blow away, so that's always a good sign. That's an awesome sign, I think. And, um, you know, we didn't really get anything here in Orlando. Some of our writers were along the coast were affected and had their power out for a few days. But I think everybody made it through pretty much OK, which is is good. I know that, you know, some people and some businesses, uh, some people's homes and some businesses took a beating from Matthew. But you're going to have that in a hurricane. But I think overall it was it was not nearly as bad as it could have been. So so we're all thankful for that. Yeah, I was. I dodged a bit bullets and uh, no real power losses. Lost a few friends, had some power losses, but nothing major. Not as bad as anybody anticipated for Central Florida. So, I, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. I hate to even bring it up, but Orlando City, we didn't talk about it yet. Uh, lost one nil to Montreal, and that pretty much did it for the playoffs for uh, 2016. In a very disappointing fashion because Orlando City was going up against a team that was content to just sit and defend, sit and defend. And Orlando City had a lot of possession and a lot of shots and could not find a breakthrough. Montreal had one shot on goal. It went into the goal and they won the game. Uh, so uh, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, nobody felt good after that one. There was there were a lot of unhappy people in the in the Twitter feed and um, in our comments section. And I don't know that Orlando could have played much better in terms of, you know, doing what they wanted to do. They just couldn't finish. And sometimes you have games like that, Andrew. Yeah, and, and it wasn't, let's be honest, it wasn't just that game. We haven't, we had been conceding way too many and hadn't been able to catch up in scoring. We played against Toronto, we couldn't score. Montreal, just once again, was one of those games where we could have played for another 90 minutes and never scored. Um, was it a harsh loss probably but it showed the frailties of our defending and the need to play so high up in the pitch and we just continuously get burned by um those breakaways yeah it was a it was an unfortunate uh, alignment problem that uh, kept dominic oduro on side for that uh, breakaway goal um i thought that the team had played better over the last two games and maybe deserved some some better results but uh certainly better than they played at DC and then in the two previous games where they had given up four goals a game, the, each of those games, but um, they seemed to stop the bleeding, but then they couldn't score goals. And I think part of the problem was uh, you've got some offensive players that just look absolutely, as your countrymen would say, knackered. Yeah. Uh, they, Kyle, they... Kyle Aaron and Kevin Molino just were not functional in an offensive capacity the last couple games. 
Yeah, and and how some of it goes back to what Jason Christ said when he first came in was that these guys aren't necessarily at the fitness level that he would anticipate for MLS. And I think those double training sessions and that step up in intensity and training has really started to hurt this team on the back end. It's going to hopefully be great for next season, but has really hindered us going towards the end of the playoff run. Yeah, now my man of the match was Antonio Nocherino. I thought he did a fantastic job. I think he was like 97% passing accuracy. Uh, he really did a good job protecting the back line, uh, moving the ball where it needed to be. Um, he he was all over the place, and he really left it all out on the pitch. He was he was one of the few that I thought you couldn't ask for any more from this guy, and so Nocherino was my man of the match. Yeah, I'm kind of with you right there. There wasn't anybody... Nobody was playing like this was a team that needed a win to go out of the to stay in the playoffs. But Nocherino was really one of the closest, um, and he just played well. He had a good passing percentage. He covered a lot of ground, and that was really all we could say was a positive for this performance. And that he got my man of the match too. It was really bizarre to see somebody like uh, Julio Baptista struggle to finish. He had some really golden opportunities down the stretch to to get that game equalized. And I think that it was a case of if they could just break the glass and get that one goal, I thought they could always get that second. But uh, he was just uh, some really bad touches on the final touch. And I mean, not the only one. We saw it from others too. But, uh, um, you know, he had a tough game and uh, great positionally. Just, again, the touch wasn't there. And a a pretty disappointing game from Molino. Yeah, and... Molino was it's interesting because once again you go back to would would Heath have taken him off it was a very disappointing performance from him overall um, but he needed to come off it was worthwhile I don't know where Kevin's head is obviously I don't know if we're going to cover it too much but then he went to Trinidad and Tobago on an international duty and has ended up now finding himself pretty much out in the cold for a, a year Um Maybe his head's not in it right now because it wasn't in Montreal. It wasn't on international duty, and hopefully, he can find his his headwind and get right get right again. Well, see, that's the weird thing is that Kevin went on international duty and got a hat trick against the Dominican Republic. Um, granted, it's the Dominican Republic; it's not like a, this this awesome team. But um, you know, then he broke camp and went out and went night clubbing and. You know, he was discovered and, and basically kicked off the team. And it was a game that his countrymen needed him for because they went out and lost at Martinique 2-0 in a game that actually had some, some Caribbean Cup implications. Yeah, and I think that it showed that he's maybe he's a little bit more mentally lost in the game. It's not that he's having he's not having a skills issue or a mm-hmm. confidence in front of goal like he had early in the season. He can score goals. He's just maybe he's a little disillusioned. And maybe you also can put that down to the fact that Adrian Heath has mentored this guy for so long, and all of a sudden he's without him. And we're starting to see a different side of Kevin Molino. And it's interesting that he chose to do it for his international side when they did need him so much. And mm-hmm. that Caribbean Cup run would have done them a great service considering they still got to go to the hex. And when you talk about wanting to play good competition all the time, that's something that would have helped his team overall. Yeah, him missing for that, for that uh, his nation in the, uh, the hex is going to be huge. Um, yeah. I, I didn't think, I didn't hold up much hope for uh, Trinidad and Tobago to get through the hex anyway, but certainly this must make them... Uh, the 
you know, they'll be the underdog in every game that they play in the hex, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I can't see how. And then you've also got Kenwin Jones isn't for Atlanta is going to have a little less travel this time around than he is usually had. Mm -hmm. um, but he's still going to need people around him. He can't do everything, even though I'm sure Atlanta is going to try to make him do it. So Orlando City out of the playoff contention uh, last year, uh, the first year in the in the league, they they went into the final weekend uh, still with a chance to make the playoffs. This time out, there's going to be two weeks of meaningless games. How do you see Jason Kreiss and company approaching these last two weeks? I think these last two weeks have to be all about testing people, seeing what you can actually get from them in a game day performance, and also seeing how you can motivate them. This, so a lot of these players are going to be playing for jobs with this club next season. And if this doesn't get them motivated, I don't think anything will. Um, but I would also like to see him go out and, and blood some of these young guys. We really have nothing to lose. It would take Chicago... Um, to have an awful lot of shamrocks and rabbit foots to probably leapfrog us and put us into 10th place. Um, get some new guys, get them some minutes, because we won't be able to get better unless we're playing competitive action with young guys. Um, and also getting into the crisis system. It's different from Heath's system. It's going to be different from Pulis's system. Um, he has to see what they, he can do with these guys that he currently has. Yeah, what do you think about maybe going back to the 4-4-2 diamond and, and seeing what he's got that can play in that formation? Because if, you know, if, as we all suspect, if he wants to take that, the, that direction with the club next year, he needs to make sure guys can, can cover their assignments in, and play in that setup. And granted, they haven't done that all, all year, so they're not maybe as well-versed as they should be, but... Um, you know, he's got to know, can my defensive midfielder cover the ground he needs to cover? Can my wings get up and down? Will they play defense? And that kind of thing. And so it's one of those situations where the, the situation here at the end of the year might dictate that he plays his style and says, can you play this style? Because if not, I've got to go move on and go find somebody who can. I think I think that's a good point. I think what he's unfortunately though, I'm guessing he's seen in training that these guys don't have the fitness to be able to kind of pull that kind of situation, and they don't have the ability to n play that. And also, when they have tried to play that, we've looked shocking. Um, I don't think he's going to even risk it, even with nothing to play. I expect him to continue just playing the same formation. Um, maybe he's trying some new guys out in the formation he currently has, but making sure that they get competitive minutes and, and going forward, see who they can get into preseason and see who has the ability to potentially mold into his system. Or maybe he is going to be converted. He's He didn't have much success with the diamond up in NYCFC. Um, maybe he's going to change. Um, but it, I don't think this is the time right now because this team needs some confidence going into the offseason so that it can acquire some better talent. So who has to have a big uh, couple weeks or they're gone? Who do you think uh, needs to do well these last two games? Anybody on the back line, I think, is is on the chopping block. Um, there's really, I think, Arjar's probably pretty safe. Um but it is a loan, so it's whether or not he continues to be here. Mm -hmm. um, Mateos is out. Um, Alston probably has a pretty good chance. He's played really well, just he's certainly one of those players that is very tired. Um, I think unless Bowden can play out of his skin, he is completely gone. Um, 
I don't think he fits this system, and I don't think he fits a potential system that the four four the the diamond would require. Mm-hmm. Um, midfield, it's so hard to know. Um, Higita's not getting the minutes, but I don't see them moving him on because um, he is still that young, raw mm-hmm. talent. I expect him maybe to drop to OCB if he's willing. Um, Carrasco, no Chirino's probably going to be that partnership, so I would say they're fairly safe. Um, no Chirino's money may be a little higher up. Um, Baptista, I think, is unlikely to stay, so even if he played out of his skin, is unlikely to hang cool. around. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think Molino is one of those people who's edging towards um, the outdoor. Um, he has had a pretty good season in terms of stats, but I don't think it's where either Heath, the front office, or Christ believes that he can be, um, and maybe it's time to move him on. Um, other than that, I we kind of play the same guys. We we're, It's going to be interesting. I think a lot of the people that have come before and the minutes that have come before – these two games won't necessarily save them, even if they do play out of their skin. But how about you? Well, I think Breck Shea is a, is a is a situation where, with the money he makes, that's going to be something where will they keep him around? Because if they are going to keep him around at his money, he's got to start. He's can't yeah. be he can't be coming in off the bench at his money. So, you know, the bottom line is if he's not going to be starting, he needs to be moved in the off season because you just don't keep pieces like that around. Uh, because they're useful if they cost that much money. You've got to build the rest of the team. So, he, you know, there's there's an issue with, with Breck, with his money, and, and whether or not he can start for, for Jason Christ. He's a, he's a guy. I, I think you bring up an interesting point with Molino. It might be a good opportunity for Orlando City to sell high with Kevin Molino. Um, he's, mm-hmm. he's shown a lot of uh, ability. He's shown some talent. But I think there are... I think we've all seen times when he switches off, especially defensively, and and can check out of games and and you know where is he? Where has he been? Has he touched the ball? Kind of kind of situation. I think that he's a useful player and he definitely plays well with Kaká, but and he's going to be a painful loss too if he goes because he's been around since 2011 in the USL. So there's going to be a, you know some unrest with the fans. But I think if he if you can get a lot for him, I think maybe he's a piece you can move and try to maybe shore up two different two different uh, spots. So. Uh, I'm, I've got my eye on Molino. I've got my eye on, on Breck Shea this offseason. And certainly the back line is a problem. Uh, and I would even say that um, you can't keep Kevin Alston unless he's a backup and he takes a pay cut. You, yeah. You've got to have better fullbacks on this team. So, uh, anyway, we're going to see what happens this week at Montreal. Uh, I'm sorry, at Philadelphia against the Union. And that's a game that's, uh, you know, the Union are going to be playing desperate because they're, they've slipped all the way to sixth and are just a couple of points ahead of New England Revolution, and uh, they are not safe right now. And, and that kind of is surprising because early in the season they were they were doing so well and they looked like they would be shoe-ins. But, but now Philadelphia in danger with uh, New England and uh, the crew with a game in hand still having a chance. So, um, you know, surprisingly enough, Columbus, as badly as they've played, still have an outside chance of getting in. So... They could end up on uh, 44 points, and the Union right now are in sixth with 42. So uh, the Union need a result, and, um, you know, Orlando can play loose, and they don't need the result. So we'll see what happens. It'll be an interesting match for sure. And then uh, home to finish the season against D.C. United uh, the following Sunday. So um, before we bring in our guest, just real quick, OCB unceremoniously dumped from the USL postseason 4-0 on the same day that Orlando City was knocked out of postseason contention. Um, 
OCB never really in that game, but it was just nice for the first uh, first year team to make the playoffs. Uh, if you're playing a record setting juggernaut like New York Red Bulls two, there probably wasn't much hope going on the road to win that match. But um, you know they hung in as long as they could, and once they conceded, the the roof just caved in. Yeah, it was it was very nice. They they set their goal, they made it. Um, that's always a win in anybody's book. I'm sure the front office was completely delighted. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, the playoffs were not. We just got in there by the skin of the teeth, and we really just weren't in that game whatsoever. Um, the Red Bull Red Bulls too look like a team that is on a march to the title right now. Um, mm-hmm. It could have been worse. I think is the one thing you could say about OCB's <laughs> performance. Um, it could have been worse than four nil. Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to start the bleeding and and keep it under control without it being a complete blowout. Um, but it's going to take a while for them to recover from that but there is still going to be a lot of changeover i think in that side as well but good job for pulis is his first year as coach for making playoffs um and you got to give him a hats off absolutely so congratulations to the young lions for making the playoffs even though they had a lot of turmoil in their lineup uh down the stretch especially after mikey ambrose and tony rocha were signed for the for the senior team uh lots of different lineups lots of different uh player combinations but they managed to put it all together finally won a game got into the playoffs and of course they had to play the buzzsaw that is new york red bulls too uh harrison heath getting uh getting a red card didn't help uh but the game was already done and dusted by that time anyway so um you know at least they they finished on 10 men the last time they went to red bull arena they finished on nine men so i guess it's an improvement uh (laughs) and they lost by one fewer goal so um they're getting there it's just going to take a little while. But, uh, yeah, so uh, congratulations on a good season for Anthony Pulis and, and his charges. Uh, obviously, they did everything they needed to do. They got into the playoffs. They developed players for the senior team. They gave minutes to guys like Earl Edwards Jr., uh, guys coming back from injury like Rafael Ramos and Christian Higita. So, uh, really, the USL side did everything that the club wanted it to do. And, um, you know, anything else, uh, any advancement in the playoffs or anything else was just going to be you know, the icing on the cake. Yeah, it was going to be complete gravy. It, it is it is the model of what MLS wants the, the USL team for an MLS franchise to be. It's allowing people to go out and get minutes. It allowed Hikita to get around a suspension so that he didn't lose anything. It allowed us to get some of those guys who weren't quite ready. And I think it also let us put up a good yardstick against talent that other team is acquiring, such as New York Red Bulls too, um, and see where we're at. And so that maybe we're not betting on somebody that has no future in this league. Yeah. And Red Bulls too, is the perfect, um, perfect example that Orlando city would like to follow. A lot of Academy guys, a lot of young guys, very talented and, uh, and getting, getting valuable minutes and valuable experience in the club's system. So, um, that's what Orlando City B wants to be, and uh, you know, give them a few years and give the academy, you know, a few more years to to produce players, and I think they'll be right at that level. But we have another team to talk about, and I think to do that we should bring in our guests. And why don't we go ahead and get to our guest uh, right after this? All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're very, very pleased to have back with us Tom Sermani. He is the head coach of the Orlando Pride, of course, uh, which just wrapped up season number one in the NWSL. In fact, the NWSL just had its championship game this past weekend. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for being with us. 
It's a great pleasure as always. Well, I wanted to just start out by asking you about your, you know, you've had a, a week now to kind of look back on the season, reflect, maybe get your, you know, maybe clear your mind, maybe not even think about uh, the team at all uh, for a few days. But I wanted to, to see if you've had a chance to digest this inaugural season and, the, and, and just maybe get your overall thoughts on how it went from your perspective. Yeah, no, I've certainly been digesting it. I've probably been digesting it virtually from the start of the season um, right to the end, to be honest. Um, you know, my, my view would be mixed, if I was, I was being perfectly honest. I think, you know, the first half of the season went very, very well. Um, I think when they lost their players to the, the Olympics, that really, that hurt us really badly. Um Mainly because, you know, the, a lot of other teams lost players to the Olympics. Because we weren't an established team, we didn't have the base, base in our squad and amongst our, our other players to, to cope with that as well as the other teams. And, and the second half of the season was, was, was really tough. It was, a, it was, it was difficult and, um, and, you know, our results reflected that a little bit. So, I, you know, I thought that the good thing was that our, our team was, Competitive, but uh, I, I was, you know, disappointed with the, you know, a, a results in the second half of the season. So, from my perspective, as a, as a coach, I've, it's kind of been a, a fact. I don't think I've had a coaching career when I've kind of gone through that spell of, of sort of, you know, not being able to turn things around. So that that was difficult. But you know, overall, I think it, it kind of mirrors what it's like to come in as a new team in an established league. Well, and obviously, um, one thing that we're not going to have to be dealing with next year is those international breaks. Um, do you think it's a good idea to have and go through an expansion season when you know you're going to lose so many call players? Um, well, you, you know, it's a catch-22. You, you need to try and, you know, it's like anywhere, you want to try and make your team as competitive as possible from from day one. So, you know, to make our team competitive and and given the environment that you come into in a in the US league where there's not a free market, our international players became really important to us. So it's one of those where if we didn't have those international players in the first part of the season, then we wouldn't have been as strong then either. So so it's as I say, it's um, it's a pretty much a catch twenty two. And what we wanted to do was bring in quality players into this team, and players that would make this team competitive from the start of the season. The, the downside of that is when we lost those quality players, we never quite had the depth um, of the other teams to be able to cope with that. Well, Tom, one thing that you you had. Uh... In, in abundance was uh, was goalkeeping from Ashlyn Harris. She won the Goalkeeper of the Year Award. Uh, I wonder if you could just reflect maybe on, on her season and, and what she meant to the club, because certainly, um, you know, she gave the team a chance to win every week. Yeah, she was outstanding. Outstanding. And, I, and I've said this in, in, in many interviews. You know, if I go through the season, I, I honestly can't remember her making what I would call an error. And... Um, I mean, goalkeeping terms, that, that's huge. You know, you go to the English Premier League, the Serie A or whatever, 
whatever the, the level of goalkeeper. You know, Buffon from Italy last week made a howler against Spain in the World Cup qualifiers. So whatever league and whatever level you get, goalkeepers are going to make mistakes. But to be honest, in this season, I cannot recall Ashland making a mistake. I can't recall him making an error of judgment, a handling error, a decision-making error, or whatever. She's just been flawless. Um, obviously, we're really good. We're set on goalkeepers. Um, you've talked about how you want to. You've been adjusting throughout the season and digesting everybody's performances. Who? What is the area that you're going to mostly concentrate in the off-season? Offense or defense? I, I think a little bit of both. I think the, the key areas that we need. I think we need to to strengthen uh, a centre back. I think we need to have a really um, a good quality centre back. And I think we need to have a really good quality midfield player. Um, and then I think we, if we do that, I think we can fill in around about those positions because I think we've got players to do that. But we need somebody that can control the game, control the tempo um, in, in midfield. And we need a really a really good centre-back to, to control and, and organise our defence. You know, Tom... Uh... Early in the season, almost, you guys almost made it look a little too easy, uh, racing out to a, a top four spot, uh, you know, just a couple of months into the season. Uh, but then part of the problem was not just missing those players that, that had to leave for Olympic duty, but the players that were left behind were having trouble scoring goals. And, and even we saw some of that when, when Alex returned was uh, just, uh, you know, there's not that... There's not been that consistent second person that's that's been able to to help and score yeah. goals and, and take the take the, the the burden off of Alex's shoulders. What can you do, yeah. you know, in terms of finding players to 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 help her out and help the team score some more goals? Well, I don't think it's just about the goal scoring situation. I think it's about more that we actually didn't create enough chances. Mm-hmm. I don't think we got enough um, opportunities and, and quality play. Uh, whether it was quality crosses or final passes, to make to make the chances that we needed to make to score goals. So, um, and uh, and I think coupled with that is that we seemed to get ourselves in games where we were doing okay, but then tended to, to give up a goal. So we're chasing games as well. So I think we had a combination of not creating enough chances, uh, and and secondly having to chase games. And that made that made life a little bit difficult for us. And and, and to your point, you, we needed that second goal scorer who needed to to chip in with you know sort of more goals than we managed to get. Um, one one of those players that we were kind of linked with in the middle of the season was Caitlin Ford. Um, she's left Sky Blue, returned to Sydney FC. Is she potentially somebody you might be interested in for next season to kind of help with getting that ball in the middle and being that bit more of a dynamic midfielder for the Pride? Very much so. I mean, we've, we've chased Caitlin Ford since probably April this year and, and done everything, believe me, beyond above and beyond what we could have done to actually get her here and, and it's kind of, uh, you know, that's one of the weaknesses of the US uh, system, is that you have a player like that, world class player who should be in this league we've tried our best to get a deal done to bring her into this league but the, 
the system unfortunately let us down and, and didn't let us let her let us bring her here. Uh, and she's one of our, our key targets again for next year and we want to bring her here because she's the kind of player that thrives in this league. You know, when we look at Western New York who won the the championship, they've got young, they've got dynamic players, they've got players that can create, they've got players that can do multiple roles on the field. Uh, and Caitlin is one of those players, and, and you know she's one of our key targets for next year. You know, you mentioned Western New York, and that was a team that, uh, you know, to to Orlando's credit, the Pride played very, very well this season, beat them once uh, here, mm. and, then, and then lost a, a close one at their place. Uh, but they're a team where the Pride sent Leanne Sanderson, and I wondered if you had, you know, reached out to Leanne to congratulate her on, on winning the championship. I know she didn't play because she was injured, but uh, I just wondered if you had talked yeah. to her. I haven't done that yet, but I talked to her after she did her ACL because that was really disappointing for, mm-hmm. you know, for her. And, and, and personally, I felt that, you know, there's nothing worse than a player getting a, a serious injury. So I haven't, I haven't actually, I've, I've spoken to Paul Riley, the coach, um, since winning the championship. I haven't as yet reached out to Leanne. I've given her a little bit of time because she's literally just had her ACL operation. But um, I did. I, we, we did touch base with each other after she she um, unfortunately did an injury, and uh, you know we've been in touch then. So um, I will in the coming weeks get back to her once she's sort of got into the the routine of a rehab from her injury. Um, obviously, and as we just said, the final was this past weekend. Um, Obviously, the league will be going into its fifth year next year. It's continued to break records in, in terms of its longevity for women's soccer in the United States. And um, what do you think it says about the fact that the final was played at a neutral venue um, this season? Uh, well, I think in some ways it's, it's like everything. In, in some ways, that's a step forward. It's good. Um, in some ways, you, you've got to balance that out with. Um, trying to make sure you get the best crowd in the best environment that you can. So I think the, the fact that Houston wanted to, to host the game, MLS team, fantastic stadium, is a step forward. You know, I think that the next step then is if we're doing that, we need to make sure that it's held in environments where there's going to be, you know, a good response and there's going to be a good crowd and where the, the supporters from the teams that get to the final have a, a realistic opportunity to get there and see their teams live in the final. So, you know, it's like anything. I think there's some some good and there's some some things about that that, that might need a little bit of adjusting. Well, Tom, uh, Jill Ellis just brought in a, a lot of new players to the U.S. camp, a lot of them from the NWSL. Um, obviously, it's very exciting for the league to have so many players uh, from the league going to, to get that chance to play with the U.S. women's national team. Uh, players that are very deserving, like like Kalia Ojai and, and players like that. Um, how do you see this league in now again, as, as Andrew said, entering its fifth season? How do you see it uh, as in its developmental stage? Where is it? In, in terms of that uh, evolution? Well, that, that is an absolutely fabulous question. That is, what's happened this year with Jill is exactly why it's so, so important in the modern game, the women's game, to have a National League. Because if if we didn't have a National League in its fourth year, the Kelly or, Kelly or High 
the, the win where Williams has had an outstanding season, mm-hmm. with the times would get lost to the game. It's as simple as that. And, and I was a national coach when we actually started the NWFL, and there was a lot of scepticism from the players. There was a lot of scepticism from my national team staff about a national league. From my perspective, I kind of try to stress how important it is to have a vibrant national league in, in women's soccer. And now we're actually seeing it. Because whether you like it or not, the, the women's game moves on. And the US can't have a system where there's no professional league and you're having to make decisions on players when they come out of college at 20 and 21 if they're going to be national team players and they've got nowhere to play. So I think what Jill has done is fantastic for the league. I think it's fantastic for the national team. And it just shows that the way forward and shows how important a professional women's league is these days if you want to have a successful national team and you want to be able to keep producing players. Just to follow up on that uh, real quick, just did you have any discussions with Jill about, about Alex not being called up or did you have any discussions with Alex about not getting the call uh, this time? Yeah, I, I had a chat with Alex, obviously, and, and she's, she's understanding the disappointment. So there's, there's a couple of things in relation to that. And I think, again, it's, it, it's a way of looking forward to what the national team is going to be about. So if you look at Alex, she has been pursuing non-stop for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, Olympics, World Cup, Olympics, the, the NWSL, camps, internationals, etc., etc. So that there comes a stage where the, a national team has to evolve. And the, the U.S. women's national team that was very much set in these ways for many, many years is now having to evolve with the modern game. And part of that involvement means that there's going to be camps where some of the key players are not called into those camps. Um, and, and in some ways, that, that's a positive thing for the national team. So, you know, I chatted to Alex about that, and for me, it's a good time for her to just rest and recover. Because if you look at Alex this year, um, she's probably played more games this year than she has in the last three or four years because she's had a variety of injuries. Mm-hmm. And she's come in and played game in, game out in the NWSL, which she's never done before. And, and not only done that, but she's had to do that in an expansion team, which has made it even more difficult for her. So for her to have some, some time off to just get herself refreshed and recovered, I think is a great thing. For Jill to have called players in from the NWSL, who in previous years would not have even been on the radar for the national team. It's fantastic. And I just think um, that it shows the importance of having a strong professional league in the country. Well, and also one part of uh, developing a strong national game um, is obviously club academies um, and the college game. Um, Orlando City has been very good about setting up a youth pyramid. Um, Do you think it's going to be more and more on the clubs and and coaches like yourself to identify that talent and help steer um, girls into more national residency programs for U.S. soccer, just like happens with boys? Yeah, definitely. But where that, how many years down the track that is, it's hard to say because the reality is that the, the women's game is not at the level yet where players can you know, go through an academy and decide not to go to college and come in as a professional. That, that's still the exceptional player, the Mallory Pugh, 
um, who might come out of college as a, or might not go to college but come into the league as a 17 or 18 year old as a one-off. Um, I think um, the system of, of clubs having an academy and a, a youth structure is really important. But I think within that youth, youth structure, the reality is that, is that 90 or 95% of those players are still going to go through the college system because the professional game has not evolved yet in the same way as the men's games evolved. But you've also got to remember, it's not many years ago that most of the male players in the MLS went through a full you know, college cycle. Um, so, as I say, I think the, the women's game's got a few years yet before you go from academy straight into the NWSL. I think the college game's still going to be important for a few years. Tom, before we let you go, just wanted to kind of look ahead to next year. I know that in MLS, the, the rules are such that it's very difficult to change more than four or five players out in an offseason. Uh, what kind of, of, of changes do you anticipate in the offseason? And do you think that the club might be able to trade back up into that first round uh, for, the, for the college draft? That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice, but I think, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be realistic. I think the key thing for us next year, there are a couple of key things. One is that um, our international players are going to be really key to the success of the team. We need to make sure that our international signings are the the best ones that we can possibly make. Um, I think, secondly, we need to go out there with an open mind and try to look for players who may not be attached to teams in the NWSL. The, the reality is that we we don't have a, a great trading position. We don't have a great draft position. So we need to go out there and try and find U.S. players who may be playing in Europe or, or different places around the world who, who might be free and might be able to come in and do well in this league. All right. Well, Tom Sermani, uh, head coach of the Orlando Pride, thanks so much for for joining us on the Mainland Podcast and for being a, a repeat guest now. You, you came uh, before the season you came on, and now you came on to, to discuss the season in review. So uh, best of luck this off season, and, and we hope to talk to you again uh, before the 2017 season kicks off. Thanks again. Thanks for everybody's support uh, around the team, the club, the city. Uh, it's been fantastic this year, and, and hopefully uh, we'll do well for everybody next year. Well, that'll just about do it for another episode of the Mainland Podcast and, uh, of course, episode number 68, just about in the books. But before we get out of here, Andrew, a couple things. First, uh, thanks again to Tom Sermani. What a treat it is to talk to him. He's always extremely forthcoming with his answers, very candid, uh, a very charming dude, and just a joy to have on the show. Yeah, he's always a great interview. Um, he gives us some really good, honest answers um, about the spate of the Pride franchise, and I think he's going to be a great coach for uh, Pride next season. Very appreciative. Uh, I was at the, uh, the the final match of the season, and um, he was very appreciative of the media that covered the, that covered the team this season. He was very appreciative to have the coverage, and you don't often see that um, when, when, you're, when you're in the media, part of the media. I mean, I was a, a sports writer. I covered college and professional sports, and you just don't um, – you, you see it from some, and you don't see it from others. You know, some people think it's just – 
what you're supposed to do and they don't even question it. And then, you know, like when I was in Amarillo, Texas, uh, covering high school volleyball, man, they loved the coverage. They were so psyched to get the coverage. Um, and they would always be very, very accommodating. Um, the local dirt track owner there was just very, very happy to get coverage as well. And, and, and it's, it's funny cause then you compare that to like the only, the only college there in the, in the area is Western. Well, they're, they're West Texas A&M. Um, and they were, they were just like, yeah, whatever, you know, you're here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and it's kind of what it is like with MLS, you never get really thanked for your coverage, but, uh, but Tom spent like five minutes of his post game presser, you know, f- with effusive praise for the, for the media that was assembled that covered the team this year. So, uh, we appreciate the kind words and we, 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 we like being thanked because, you know, we, especially us, because we don't actually get paid to do this. We just do it for fun. And, yeah, uh, the love of the game. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool that, uh, you know, that they are appreciative of our efforts. So, uh, thanks again to Tom Sermani and again, uh, and you know, to Jackie Maynard of the Orlando city, uh, communications department for helping us set that up. And, and, uh, Tom's a repeat guest and now, uh, it's time to make him a regular is the next step. So yeah. instead of just a couple times a year, maybe, you know, once a month, maybe. Who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, one thing I should say is that after next week, or actually after the week after next week, uh, we'll be going to a once a month off-season schedule. Uh, so, after, you know, we'll, we'll do a show next week and the week after that, and then we'll be going to one a month. So there'll be, there'll be one probably about the third week of every month uh, between now and the start of the MLS season next year in 2017 so we'll be going to our off-season schedule just something to keep in mind before we get out of here andrew we need your key matchup and your scoreline prediction for orlando city at philadelphia union this is going to be a tough one philadelphia have been sliding down the table a little bit obviously we are well without any points um but we're not necessarily looking for them this is going to be about a game where we're going to be trying a lot of different things out a lot of players that you may not necessarily have seen or have heard of if you're not a super fan um you're going to be struggling to maybe recognize some people but i think this is going to be a still close regardless um because these players are going to be playing for teams next for places on this roster next year um once again though i'm gonna to have to probably stick with um defense um Aja probably imagine it will be Heinz in place of Mateos mm-hmm. going up against Herbers um, and Barnetta in the midfield and trying to keep them quiet and hopefully getting some support um, from Nocherino and Carrasco in the middle. Um, both those guys have the ability to be real um, game changers, um, as we found out last season um, <laughs> or earlier this season with Barnetta's free kick. Um, Offside, by the, the way. Offside, but it still counted. So yeah, yeah. It, it's still a goal. Um, so you've got to really keep those guys quiet. And I think it's going to be having those four players really mark those two and keep them quiet out of the game. And we may be able to steal something if we can find where Kyle Lahren or any member of this team lost their scoring boots. All right. So what's your scoreline prediction? Scoreline, I'm going 1-1. I think that's a good away result for us mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a team where... It's maybe it's going to be a little bit of experiment. Yeah, you took a little bit of wind out of my sails. I was thinking one one, just kind of just gut feeling, really nothing else, because I don't really know what Jason Christ is going to do um, 
in terms of, of what he's going to put on the field. Connor Donovan spoke at training this week. Uh, so that tells me he might be in the plans for for Sunday's game. Um, but then again, it might just be because OCB's season is over and they're, they're all training together. Who knows? But uh, I, I'm not really sure who's going to be playing. But I kind of am thinking the same way you are in terms of, of keeping guys quiet for Philadelphia. But the guy that I've got my eye on is Chris Pontius who's had a career year, even at, as he's been around for a long time, uh, seems to have undergone a rebirth in Philadelphia. And, and he's a guy that I think will need to be uh, kept quiet if Orlando City's going to stay in this match, because uh, he's a guy that can not only uh, score himself, but he can he can create goals as well. So he, he's a guy that I've got my eye on. So whoever is going up against him, and it may be several different people throughout the evening uh, or afternoon since it's a 3 o'clock game, um, that's my key matchup. So I, I also see it about as a 1-1 draw, uh, although there is a possibility of a 2-1 Philadelphia victory if uh, if the <laughs> defense uh, continues to, to struggle. But, um, you know, like I said, Philadelphia has to go for it. That might make them sloppy. That might make them tense up in the uh, attacking third. I think the way Orlando City kind of did against Montreal, they needed that game and maybe they were trying to be a bit too fine in the attacking third and, and it really cost them that game. So uh, it's a game that I think Orlando can take some points in, especially since most of the games, well, every game against uh, the Union has been very, very close. So uh, I think it's time for Orlando City to get their first victory against Philadelphia, but I, it's going to be a difficult ask on the road. So I'm going to, I'm going to call it a draw. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of why I went with it. I think if we take, if we're experimental and we manage to go up against a team that does need the points, you got to consider a, a draw, a, a victory in the way this season is ending. Sure, especially with, um, you know, potentially some young players playing, and also the fact that this team's only won two road games all season long. Um, you know, any road points are are good, and uh, any road victory this year has been very very difficult to come by. So. Uh, that's, that's the way we see it, but the, the playoffs are out of reach, unfortunately, the, with two weeks to go, but we will be able to hopefully play spoiler as, uh, you know, Philadelphia and the, and DC United are the two opponents coming up and lurking in the weeds, uh, playing very good soccer of late is, is, you know, New England revolution and Columbus crew has started to come on, especially with that, Four one victory over Orlando City. Uh, again, we're we're good for what ails you. If you're if you're a bad team, play Orlando City, and you're gonna go on a good run of form. So we've seen that about four or five times this year, and um, it looks like Columbus is the latest to to, to jump all over that. So um, anyway, we'll be back next week to discuss Orlando City at Philadelphia. Hopefully, we'll be talking about winning the game. Um, with, we haven't got to do that. Only, we've only got to do that seven times this year, uh, which is interesting. I was thinking about this earlier because four of the seven wins, I believe, yes, right now, four of Orlando City's seven victories were against teams above the red line in the Eastern Conference. So you know they can play with those teams. They just haven't consistently beaten them and earned points against them this year. Too many draws and too many losses. So... We'll be back next week to uh, talk about what happened. Obviously, we won't have OCB or Orlando Pride to talk about next week unless something pops up. And, uh, you know, hopefully Kevin Molino and everyone else will stay out of the news for the wrong reasons uh, in the week to come. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll reconvene and we'll discuss 
Orlando City, Philadelphia, and we'll look ahead to the season finale against DC United. Before we get out of here, I do want to say, please, uh, if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, that's a good way for us to get additional listeners and to, um, you know, get more exposure. So, so please, by all means, go to iTunes and uh, leave us a nice review. Uh, you can uh, read our stuff at themainland.com. T H E M A N E L A N D. Main like a lion's mane. And also uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at the mainland. And uh, you can also like us on Facebook. The Facebook page is also facebook.com slash the mainland. So uh, it's all nice and easy for you to remember. Uh, so that'll do it for episode 68 of the Mainland Podcast. Thanks again to Tom Sermani. We'll be back next week and we'll do it again. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Harrison, I am Michael Citro signing off saying, Go City.